spiritual fathers. You know, any 12-year-old boy can be a father, right? Any guy with any background can be a father. Some guys are fathers and don't even know it. Some guys are grandfathers and don't even know it. I know a woman who submitted her DNA to Ancestry.com, and she found out that her father was not her father. She had an entirely different family all the way up in Ohio. And last fall, she went and, and found that family, and for the first time, she found her people she was like, wow, I look like you. I have your personality. Wow, we fit together. And all the holes in mom's story finally made sense. And she was grateful that the guy she grew up with was not her real father. And to hear the great stories about her real father, she just wished she had known him. To be a father takes simply a momentary pleasure. Or maybe it could be an act of indiscretion. Or maybe it could be that moment of true passion with the one that you found, that you love. And um, John Michael, we have a little video I'd like to show you. This is what it looks like when that moment of pleasure with the one that you love comes to pass. Do we have any audio? One more time, we got to play it again. <laughs> if it will. <laughs> okay, one more. T no, I'm kidding. <laughs> There's little Eli. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's my new grandbaby. Yeah. God wants us to be fathers. And God wants good people to bring more good people into the world. Amen? Now, I don't mean to diminish being an earthly father at all by saying any 12-year-old can be. I don't mean to diminish it to that, but what I am calling you to is challenging you today to step into another kind of fatherhood that's beyond just being an earthly father, to be a spiritual father. And being a spiritual father cannot happen accidentally, it only happens intentionally. The three most important men, that, I, at least in my estimation, one of them definitely, but the three that, that st stand out to me in the Bible weren't human fathers. They were spiritual fathers. And it's, more, it, it's, you know, it's so important for us to recognize that these guys accomplished God's plan and God's purpose without being fathers on this earth. They were spiritual fathers. And so I want to call you into that today because whether you're a father of a human person or not doesn't matter when it comes to the body of Christ. It's a matter of you becoming a spiritual father to others. One was John the Baptist. You've heard of him? He wasn't a father. The Apostle Paul. 
As much research as I tried to do to find out if he had any offspring, don't see it. Don't see it. And then, of course, who do you think the third one is? That's right. These men had no children. And not that there's anything wrong with having children. Amen? We want to have children. God wants us to, to fulfill His call in our lives by having children and, and making good people uh, come, back, come after us and filling up the church with good people and babies. Amen? But Do John the Baptist, he was more like the guy, remember the, the guy from Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson? This is what John the Baptist looked like. He was rough. He was hairy. He was brash. He said whatever came to his mind, and that ended up killing him, getting him killed. His clothes were made from camel skin. You can imagine what that smelled like. He stunk. When he walked in town, people were like, John's in town, isn't he? I need to get baptized. Let's let John go soak in the water for a few minutes before I come. He ate locusts and honey like it was peanut butter and jelly. Disgusting. His life was devoted to telling people that Jesus is coming, though. That was his call for life. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. He's coming. You would have thought, though, that God would have chosen someone different, someone better, someone that was, that was more likable, somebody that smelled okay, somebody that, that the women and children would be okay to be around, someone that at least took a shower every now and then. You would have thought that God could have found somebody a little bit more meticulous in how he took care of himself. But John operated in the spirit of Elijah, and he told everyone, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And he had his own disciples. Now, you can imagine what a room full of John and his disciples was like. You didn't want to leave the room and try to come back. Just be used to it. <laughs> Yet it was this man that baptized Jesus. Now, I've baptized people. And that moment of vulnerability, as I lay them down into the water and bring them back up, I can't imagine what that felt like for John to feel God in his hands dropping him into the water. What an amazing moment. What a humbling moment that was for him. And this man ultimately became a martyr for his righteousness. Herod had his head chopped off. And the scripture says that when Jesus found out about it, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Imagine being a person that Jesus felt the impact of your death to the point that Jesus had to go off and find a place of solitary, in solitary. John was a spiritual father, and you can be too. Then there's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, his life was devoted to being a father figure to the churches. He took time to teach and personally help so many people individually to grow in Christ. 
Paul's life was used as an example by God for others to look at and see what it looks like to have a life of struggle, a life of suffering, a life even of imprisonment, and still love God. That was Paul's life. In so many ways, I can identify with Paul. He, he wrote this. He said, it seems to me that God has put us who bear his message on stage in a theater in which no one wants to buy a ticket. We're something Everyone stands around and stares at like an accident in the street. We're the Messiah's misfits. You might be sure of yourselves, but we live in the midst of frailties and uncertainties. You might be well thought of by others, but we're mostly kicked around. Much of the time, we don't have enough to eat. We wear patched and threadbare clothes. We get doors slammed in our faces, and we pick up odd jobs anywhere we can to eke out a living. When they call us names, we say, God bless you. When they spread humor about us, rumors about us, we put in a, a good word for them. We're treated like garbage, the leftovers that nobody wants, and it's not getting any better. He's like, I don't even see any hope in this. I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold to shame you. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you, and I want you to grow up well and not spoiled. How many of you want that for your kids? He's saying, I want this for the church. I want for this for the people in the church, the people of God. I want you to be well and not spoiled. I want you to be strong. And he says, it was, it was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus was my father and I became yours. I became that for you. I, I began to pass that on to you. He said, Jesus helped him to do this, and so now I'm passing it on to you. So his life was in full display. They could all see it. They could all see the disappointments. They could all see the struggle. He's sitting in prison. They could all see that. And here's the truth. Dad's lives are on full display for their children, aren't they? You know, I watched my father as I was growing up. I remember the moments when my, when my dad lost his job at Chrysler for a couple of years. And he had to restart his life. He had to restart his career. And I saw how frustrated and disappointed he was as he was the top salesman in insurance. Isn't that awesome? He really was, like in the region. He became that in less than, less than a year after, after getting his license. It's absolutely amazing what my dad was able to accomplish. But he still wasn't making as much as he did at Chrysler being the top sales guy. Isn't that crazy? I remember the disappointment in him when he had to sell his boat and he saw the disappointment in my face because this was our life. We enjoyed going out boating and fishing and all of that. That was how we spent family time. I remember the disappointment. I remember how hurt he was and how much he struggled through that period of time in his life. Kids watch as their fathers grow through, go through these difficult times. They feel the pain and they understand and they want to help their fathers through these times. And i got to say, my children have done an amazing job in the last five months just helping their father through the most difficult moments in his life. My life is on full display, like Paul said. You all are kind of watching me in prison. And I understand what Paul was saying. My kids have felt the impact of their parents not having a lot of money at times. You know, you, know, you guys have been there. My kids have seen us go through difficult times where friends betrayed me. 
My kids have seen that and they hurt with me in those moments. They've watched as I've struggled to fulfill God's plan and God's call in my life and, 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 and the church wondering if this is going to make it or not, wondering if it's going to grow or not, wondering if we're going to have people or not. You guys understand. They've seen that. They understand it from inside perspective. My kids have seen all of that. They've seen the stress that we went through when our home burned back in 2017. They watched their dad just pulling his hair out, trying to figure things out. How are we going to make it through this? And, and now they've seen me lay to rest the most beautiful woman I ever laid eyes on. And I tell you that my kids have also seen me blessed beyond measure. My kids have seen me have great friends, people that love me and that I love them. My kids see that that if you don't quit, if you don't give up, it all comes to pass. It all co- My kids have seen us grow into a beautiful and wonderful, great church. Might not be the biggest, but that's not what we're after. The body of Christ, we've got it. My kids have seen that our home turned into a beautiful place even after it was burned. And I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that God will give me beauty for my ashes again. And my kids will see it. But I'm hoping that more than my kids are watching. I'm hoping that you're seeing that this is true for your life too. If you don't quit, if you don't give up, if you don't stop. Fathers, you may not know where that house payment is coming from or that rent is coming from. You may not know where that business is going. You may not understand what's going on and why you can't get that promotion. Talk with me. Let's pray about it. But I do know this. As your kids watch, they're going to see God come through for you. And they're going to know it's true for them too. I'm not here telling you all that you've done wrong in your life. My job is to just point you to Jesus. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done, except for a great testimony and a great story to say, this is what Jesus did in my life. That's the only reason you bring up your past. Amen? But I'm here to point you to Jesus, and I'm simply doing that day after day and week after week and month after month, and and I hope that you're watching. I hope that you're watching. Because if I can make it, I know you can make it. And men, I'm asking you to do the same. I'm asking you to be that in your homes, in your church, in your community, that you would point people to Jesus, that you would be a spiritual father. With confidence, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He said, with each of you, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand. Listen to how intimate that is, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God, who called us into his kingdom, into this delightful life. You see, a good father speaks truth in love. A good father disciplines consistently. A good father chooses to fight the right battles. Not every little battle, but the right battles. A good father will point in the right direction, even and especially in a moment of failure. Say, there's north, 
There's where Jesus is. A good father will lead by example and service. A good father will not get distracted by their own pain and suffering so as much to abandon the mission. A good father will get up when they fall. A good father will repent when they fail. A good father will repair what they damage. A good father will teach to peace, to make peace. A good father will sacrifice themselves for the good of others. A good father will work, play, and relax with their children, right? A good father will never, never, never abandon ship no matter how much it's, it's, it's filling up with water. And a good father will always build a home, a stable home, a place for people to come and smile and laugh and enjoy and relax and be, a, and be on a mission in life. That's a home that God is building for us. And you see, Jesus is the greatest example of this because he's gone to build us a home. He's gone to build us a home. And here's what we know. Jesus never had kids. But we're his children. He has spiritual kids. And don't for a minute think that I'm saying that, you know, in this church, we're going to start calling me father. <laughs> in fact, Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus said, uh, in, in the kingdom of God, there's not going to be an official role or title of father. He said, no one else should carry the title father. You have only one father and he's in heaven. See, God is your father. And I have a feeling God is the father that maybe you never had. Hebrews 11 records a long list of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. It's called the Great Hall of Faith chapter. These were the ancients who carried the torch of faith. It's wonderful, wonderful to read through it. And then to go back and read some of the stories of these people's lives. And it started with the first man that was murdered. His name was Abel, Adam and Eve's son. He was murdered because he brought a better sacrifice. He brought a better offering. And the chapter then goes on to list the spiritual heritage of ours. It started, went, went through Enoch, then Noah, Abram, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and Moses went through the list of them. Then it lists all the just just the fact that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, took them through, took us through that. And, and then Rahab, even a prostitute, Rahab, the harlot, was included in the great hall of faith chapter because she trusted in God and, and she hid the spies. It's an amazing story. And the chapter ends with the writer saying how what they did connects to us today. He says, all right, we've got all of these kingdom greats and here's how it connects to us today. He says, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith, their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. He's saying these kingdom greats, these people of faith, these fathers and mothers of faith back here, these people are connected to us and without us, their faith doesn't make sense. What is he saying? It's all one book, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all one story, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's all one person, Jesus, all the way throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's saying, we're the fulfillment of all of that. And in the next chapter, it begins with this. Do you see what this means? 
all these pioneers who blazed the way for us, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. And look what he says. Study how he did it. Look, fix your eyes on Jesus. Figure out how he lived this life because he did it. You know, well, every great father will not just tell you to go do something, but they will show you to go do something, right? Every great father will start by saying, here's how you take out the trash. You pull the bag up, you tie it. Now follow me, son, and walk out to the garbage can. Lift it up. Put it in. And then every great father will say, did you take out the trash? Did you do it? Well, Dad, I don't remember how to do it. Okay, let me show you again. And Jesus took us there. He says, all right, this is how you live a life of faith. This is how you live a life the way I want it lived. And it says, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now here's, now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, how many of you have been there? Go over that story again. Go back. How do you take the trash out? Go back. Jesus, what did you do for me? Jesus, how did you make it through this? Go over that story again, item by item, that long litany litany of hostility he plowed through. The passion of the Christ is really hard to watch, isn't it? I still can't watch it in my own home, but I'll visualize it. It just seems like it's too sacred of a movie to just, I can't go there. But to go through it, and that's why we do communion. That's why we take the Lord's table, because we sit and we remember what Jesus did, and it inspires us. This is how we do it. Go over it, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In in this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed. What is he saying? He's saying, when you fight and struggle against sin, have you had your bloodshed yet? Has it been that hard on you? He says, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. What is he saying? He's saying, as you go through this life, the struggles and problems and difficulties, some of it is going to be discipline. It's going to be God saying, all right, this is how you do it. This is how you get back on track. I love you. I care about you. No, I'm not beating you down. I'm trying to lift you up. I'm trying to take care of you because I love you and you're my child and I'm a good father. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. Oh, isn't that good to know? It's training. It's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave their children to fend for themselves. How many of you have seen them in Walmart? 
Sometimes you just want to go over and say, all right, this one's mine. I know what to do with this kid. You know what I'm saying? I'm taking this kid home and they're going to have a good life. You just go somewhere and find a gutter, whatever, I don't care. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. And God says, I'm not going to leave you to fend for yourself. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? What a great question. Is that what you'd prefer? An irresponsible God? He just lets everybody do whatever. We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. <laughs> Sometimes it wasn't the best, was it? But they meant it. They meant it. But God is doing what's best for us. Training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. That's true. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. The well-trained. Don't you want to be well-trained? So here's what to do. James David, would you come? Here's what to do. He says, so don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long distance runners so no one will trip and fall. So no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Now get the visual there. What's he talking about? He's talking about you becoming a spiritual father. Sit on your hands. No more dragging your feet. You clear the path, not for yourself. For long distance runners, so no one will trip and fall. You begin to take care of others. So no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. He says, put thought to it. We had a new gas tank put out here we're so grateful for it amen but there's still a little trench here that the grass has run over where they ran the line out to it that I've I just haven't got up here to put some dirt in it yet and every Sunday because I park over here on Sundays as I walk across there, I'm like ah oh, someone's gonna twist their ankle so I've set a couple of rocks there hoping just inside that little trench that they'll step over it instead Thinking about other people, thinking about where others might be crossing the path and maybe trip and maybe twist an ankle. When you come to church, looking at others and saying, man, is there anything that, that I can do to help them to keep from tripping up? What needs to be taught? What needs to be said? How can I be a part of? How can I make a difference in someone's life? How can I be a spiritual father? to somebody else today. And listen, if, if the three greatest men in, in the history of the world, as far as I'm concerned, 
including one that's way bigger than the other two, made such an impact by being a spiritual father, do not discredit yourself if you don't have your own children. Because there's an opportunity for you to have a lot of children. It's different. Verse 14, work at getting along with each other and with God. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much a glimpse as a glimpse of God. It means you won't see Him. It means you won't make it to heaven. Work at getting along. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. He's saying, get others in. Draw them in. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. Get discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. What's he saying? He's saying one thistle coming into the church that you don't stop, that you don't, as a father, say, no, this needs to be, you need to stop. Stop being this way. He says it could ruin the whole church. Spiritual fathers protect spiritual fathers. I listen to my kids fight for a little while before I get in, right? And then I ask them the question, do you want me to get involved with this? Because neither one of you are going to like it if I, if I get involved. You either go fix it or I'm in. Getting yourself in the race. And then he says, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing. But by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. So what kind of home has God built? So that's what we need to do. What kind of home has God built? He goes on and he says, unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai. All that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and soul-shaking message terrified them, and they begged him to stop. You know what he's talking about. He's talking about in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 when the Ten, the Ten Commandments were presented. There was the mountain, and Moses and the Israelites were there, and God was on the mountain, billows of smoke, lightning, you can imagine how scary that was. The Israelites looked at that and they said, oh man, we don't want to deal with that. Moses, you go talk to the guy and we'll be okay. They were scared half to death. Why did God do that? Because he was being a loving father. He was saying, obey me. Why? Because this will be life for you. This will protect you. This will keep... Fathers, if you saw your kid going to run into the street, you'd be screaming, obey me, right? Stop. I want you to stop. Why? Because I don't want you to get crushed in the street. That's what God was doing. And, and he, says, he says, these people were standing there and then the, the earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak, the ear-splitting words and soul-shaking message terrified them and they, be, they begged him to stop. And when they heard the words, if an animal touches the mountain, it's as good as dead. They were afraid to move. Even Moses was terrified. No, 
that's not your experience at all. You see, Jesus has come into our lives and he says, you've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides. The invisible Jerusalem is populated with throng, by throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. It is the city where God is judged with judgments that make us just. You've come to Jesus who, who presents us as a new, a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He is the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, a homicide that cried out for vengeance became a proclamation of grace. So don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, what will happen to us if we turn our backs on heavenly warnings? His voice that time shook the earth to its foundations. This time, He's told us this quite plainly. He'll also rock the heavens. One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase, one last shaking, means a thorough house cleaning. Getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? We've got an unshakable kingdom, a place that God has built. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. Not only thankful, but brimming with worship. Come on, brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He is actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and He won't quit until it's all cleansed. God Himself is fire. That's the house He's built. That's the house he's built. He's a good father. And he's going to take care of all the things. You know, as we watch this world seemingly burning, as we watch all of the things that are happening in this world, it just seems like injustice is all over. But we have not come to that kind of a kingdom. We are citizens of Almighty God in the heavens. That's where we belong. And that's the kingdom that we have come to. That's our hope. That's your hope. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's your hope. And the question, men, today is this, will your children be able to follow in your footsteps? Will they see you sitting at the table or at your desk knowing that you're wondering how you're going to get that electric bill paid? Will they see you bow your head and say, Lord, I know in whom I have believed and I trust that you are faithful? Will they see that? If they do, they will never forget it. They will never forget it. Will the people in this church body see a spiritual father? Somebody that takes responsibility. To take someone by the hand and lead, guide. I've watched some of you do it. 
I've watched as people come into this church and you run over to them. How are you doing? I want to be there for you. And I've watched in rebellion as they've walked away, but then they come back and then they walk away again and then they come back and you just keep going to them and you keep loving them. I've said it for years, our church is a place where we're, we're called to be the stable ones in everybody's lives around here. While they go and while they come and while they go and while they come and eventually, and this is what we're calling you to, you become a spiritual father or even a spiritual mother. And you take responsibility to teach, to train, to encourage, to pray for, to be that stable person in their lives. That's what God has done for you. Do it for others. Would you bow your heads? here today and maybe you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior it's good news listen it's good news what Jesus has done for you you've not come to a place that's in it for us you've come to a place that is just purely saying Jesus is good news for you place where you can find purpose and meaning in life because of Him. So right where you are, would you just begin to talk to Him? Jesus, I want you in my life. This, this pastor is telling me you're a good father and I need that. Would you take my heart into your hands? It's been broken. And it hurts. And there are things that have happened in this world and in this life, my life, that I don't understand. But I give you my heart. And I ask you to heal me. I invite you in. Be my God. Be my Lord. Be my Father. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you've known Jesus for a long time, but you've never really embraced the responsibility of being a spiritual father. And for that matter, maybe there's women here today that are challenged by this, a spiritual mother. God, thank you so much for taking care of us, taking care of me. I want to live the rest of my life taking care of others as you have taken care of me. I want my life to be an example. I want my life 
to be on display, as difficult as it may be at times, that others may look and find hope, strength, and encouragement, that if I can make it, they can make it too. I choose today to be that spiritual parent. In Jesus' name.